Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. All right, welcome to a very special edition of the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Normally, we release on the first and third Friday of every month, but because we're falling so close to Halloween, we wanted to put out an episode a little early so we could really get you into that Halloween spirit. And, you know, what could get you more into the spirit of Halloween than monsters? You know, as everybody knows, like, oh, you got your mummies, you got your ghosts, you got your werewolves and vampires. It's like, we didn't want to mess with any of those because it's like, that's so, I don't want to say played out, but played out. <laughs> so we decided to come up with a <laughs> with a bunch of monsters from around the world that you probably haven't heard of before. So I don't know about you, Katrina, but I had like a really good time researching all these monsters because even though we only picked basically like one or two from each region or continent or whatever, there were so many other just completely insane monsters from around the world that I heard about that it was like really hard to narrow it down just to this list. Oh, yeah. Especially because for me, I was it was like, do I want to tell about some really goofy, funny uh, monsters where it was like, what in the world? Like, who created this? And like, why were they scared <laughs> yeah. by this? Like, what is this? Exactly. And then it went the like all the way to the other end where it was like, oh, my gosh, that's so disturbing and graphic. And yeah. so it's like monsters and creatures, they they're all over the place in like how terrifying they are and what is terrifying about them. Yeah. And it's also interesting too about like going along. And again, there's not much of a theme to this one besides being monsters from around the world, but how in different places throughout the world, there's kind of like really common themes for types of monsters you know, water monsters are a big one. And we kind of talk about some of that today, but just those themes. And it's like, I've got the list of potential episodes has grown by like 20 because there's so many different topics that we can talk about. Like Japanese monsters, that deserves its own episode because they have some of the like most insane, weird monsters I've ever heard of. One is like a sandal with arms and legs and an eye that basically what it does is just runs around the house screaming at you at night oh my gosh and that's like that terrifying monster and there's a bunch of others like that the first thing that i thought about was like do you know who would find that the most terrifying is like any little hispanic child who has ever been (laughs) like hit with a sandal by like one of their i just remember watching like coco and my friends were like when that grandma took off her like sandal to like throw at that dog they're like that's the realest thing i've ever seen (laughs) like that is the most like grandma yes my wife's cousin tells a bunch of stories about that too it's like oh my gosh yeah that's like it seems funny to me but that is actually terrifying it's things like this in humanity that you know they bind us together. They make us realize, like, we're all human. We're all getting hit by our parents. <laughs> <laughs> we all get beaten. Back if there's one, life. yeah, like that's it's just the human predicament. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that said, this first one that we're that Katrina is going to talk about might be one of the few that you may have, like, you're most likely to have heard of it. We wanted to keep it close to home. We're going to start right here at our home. 
in North America. And Katrina's going to tell us about this uh, fascinating North American monster. Awesome. So this one people might have heard of. It's called the Wendigo. And there's actually a bunch of different names because throughout the North American continent, especially around the Great Lakes region, so even up into Canada, because we're talking about the whole continent, North America. So up into Canada and the indigenous groups in some of those uh, northern United States, a lot of them had a Wendigo. Some of them had a most of them had a different word for it. And even some of them had different ideas of what it did or what created a Wendigo. But inside of these cold, harsh winters in these regions, they created this folklore about this creature called a Wendigo. And what it is, how like one gets created, is by eating human flesh. If a human being in the cold of winter starts thinking, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry, I could eat a person, their heart starts to slowly turn to ice. And then when they act on that impulse of eating another person, they get turned into this like tall, super strong creature that's said to look like gray and emaciated so it looks like it's permanently always hungry a lot of depictions now if you like google images of like a wendigo you'll see that it's a creature that has a head with horns on it but that is abs that's not in any of the indigenous myths about wendigos interesting absolutely not there was a movie that was made (laughs) called wendigo And that guy, he put antlers on his monster. And that, for whatever reason, that image of this, like, emaciated tall thing with, like, the antlers, like, that was a an image that really, I guess, resonated with people. It terrified them in whatever way, and it it stuck with them. But that is not what indigenous, indigenous people think that Wendigos were. And they they believed strongly in Wendigos, but they also thought that like there were some groups that believed that Wendigos could disguise themselves or look like regular people. Mm-hmm. And so they would have people in their tribes in their groups who would be designated Wendigo hunters, people who could tell who was like a Wendigo. And if they believed that there was people or if they found out that there are people who were eating human flesh they were allowed to kill them uh because and not eat them burn them they would like like burn them up yeah like they would kill them no eating a wendigo it's not okay so i think what's fascinating about because i told jeff i was like oh yeah I definitely would want to talk about Wendigos because cannibalism. Oh yeah, it's a top. It's a topic that, for whatever reason, I, uh, it's it's wrong to say like, oh, it intrigues me. Um, but I've always wanted to taste the taste of human flesh. But there are stories like throughout human history and even like recent history of like when people have gotten so desperate, like the Donner Party. Yeah, when people have gotten so desperate. In the cold, there's nothing else, and they're going to die, and they do kind of a societal, unthinkable crime of 
eating another human being. Yeah. And I think the reason, and I'm not the only person who thinks this, that the reason why Wendigos were created, especially in those northern cold regions, was as kind of this story about, like, what can happen to a person when they are desperate, but they're so desperate that they would do something to harm somebody in their society that, yeah. that they're so that desperate they that do. they'd be willing. Yeah. Any other It's like time. they become, they become, they become something else. They become a monster. That's not them because they're just driven to this desperation by hunger. Yeah. And yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, we've seen even, yeah, like in, modern times that it's a desperation that we naturally kind of get to in those extreme situations yeah. where it's, you start thinking, and this is, you know, another kind of like mental thing that like humans do where, you know, we look at other animals and we're like, obviously you're meat. We as human beings are apex predators and we could, if we decided to, we could kill other human beings and eat their meat because intellectually I know that you're made of meat, Jeffrey, (laughs) (laughs) Um. but, but what's stopping us from eating each other, from attacking other humans in, in a, in a food situation is this rule that we have put up in our minds. Cause other animals will like snakes will eat snakes. Snakes will eat other snakes. Like, Fish will eat other fish. There are lots of animals that are even known to like eat their young. Right. But humans, we are very much, we have the brain capacity to go, that's wrong. That's absolutely horrible and disgusting. And so it makes sense that if somebody has seen people get into that desperate situation, that they're willing to eat other people, that they would be like, hey, you know what? We need to start warning other people. About the dangers of becoming a monster like that. Yeah, that is really interesting. Like you bring up other animals will eat, you know, their own kind. But we have the ability to think. And like you said, not only do we, is it wrong, but we also kind of can know, you know, that's kind of counterproductive to the, yeah. the perpetuation of our species. If we're like just eating our own children or, Yeah, we're you like, know, this is humans. a hard winter. Sorry, Junior. Because we do kill and eat creatures that are way bigger than us. Yeah, we you do. You know what I mean? Like... And they're delicious. Sorry for any fans who are vegetarians. There will be discussion of eating people in this episode. Squeamish, <laughs> please turn away. But that said, do you content, remember our, content warning? We've talked about this before. And do you remember our pact that we have? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're allowed to eat each in, if in a time of desperation like that. If one of us dies naturally, and this is among kind of our friend group that we might be in this sort of survival situation, we have given permission for our people to our friends to eat us. Like if Katrina dies before me, I can eat her. If I die for her, she can eat me. But only if I die naturally. Yeah. You can't kill me. If you do, I'm gonna haunt the crap out of you. So um two things on that. The reason why we have that pact, I don't want people to think we're crazy. The reason like why we have that pact is because I read that uh, the psychologist discovered that people who end up in those desperate situations like that, if they've, if they've already received permission from the person that, that they're going to eat, they've already received permission that it's okay and that they like they forgive them for having to do that, 
that psychologically, if they make it through that event and get back to civilization or whatever, they do better with processing what they did if that person. Yeah. So the reason why I've given Jeff permission, if we are stranded somewhere in a cottage and there's no food, the reason I gave him permission is because I don't want him to have lasting psychological damage because he had to eat me. Same to you. But we're not going to murder each other. Hopefully. Right? <laughs> that was part of the agreement. No murder allowed. Okay. Great. I was just double checking. I'm glad that we confirmed <laughs> it's that. It's important to reaffirm these things as you know, time passes. See what's changed. Yeah. What's interesting, I was reading, I'm constantly like reading books. Um, there's a book called From Here to Eternity. And it's by Caitlin Dowdy. Mm, yeah, she's and, got a great YouTube channel, The Ask a Mortician. Yes. I love that and, channel. She was looking at different like death practices um, around the world. I'm trying to remember what country it was, but there are groups that when a member of their society dies, after they've died, they don't eat them for like sustenance or out of desperation, but they will eat parts of the person's body so that that person will always be part of their tribe. Yeah. And so it's interesting how cannibalism can be viewed yeah in different ways in different contexts it's like you're saying it totally is just the societal rules around and that, like i can 100 percent see how that's like a really sweet like very could be a very meaningful kind of idea it's something that goes way against like my culture and my yeah the things that i grow in but i can totally see how that would be something you know i can see the beauty in that even though it's something that like you said we live in a place where if you eat another person you're you know, becoming a Wendigo, a monster or whatever, kind of a, you know. Yeah. And that is like how people, I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer, we, yeah. even, even though, you know, he didn't physically change into a Wendigo, we all recognize that he's a monster. Oh yeah. Like it, it's like, no, you literally in the eyes of everybody are now a monster, <laughs> but I feel like the most scary monsters on this planet are human beings. One hundred percent agreed. Um, as I stare at the person who said that they wanted basically to eat me. I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'm not allowed to like actually do anything proactive to like get you to a point where just, I can eat. Just you. lie and wait. Yeah. For your it's opportunity. Just a, it's just a waiting game. All right. On our journey we move from North America going a little little to our south, to South America and Central America. I've kind of got like a two for one here with two different stories, but they're sort of related. So I'll kind of tell them both and we can talk about them. Um, but the first one I'm going to tell is a story that I heard from a friend of mine who was from Brazil. And he actually grew up like in Manaus, which is in Amazonas, like so the Amazon. And he actually, for some of his time, Manaus is actually a pretty decently sized city, but he did live like out in the jungle, um, basically, like just in the middle of nowhere for a little while. So they have tons of really cool stories. But this one is about um, a creature that's called the Boto. Or in some of the places they call it like Boto Corjihosa, which is basically means like, so a Boto is a river dolphin. So it's like a dolphin the color of rose or like a pink dolphin, which is actually like a real animal. So there's a real animal called the Amazon river dolphin. And sometimes they call them pink river dolphins because the color of their skin is pink. Which, quick zoological tangent, <laughs> when they're born, they're actually like gray. 
completely gray like we would imagine other dolphins but the pink color comes from like scar tissue so they're constantly like uh, either getting attacked by other things in the amazon or like rubbing up against debris that's in the river or whatever and so like the older that they get the more pink that they become because they're getting like this scar so they get their gray skin gets cut or abraded and then it grows back like this pink color but there's oh man, all... that actually kind of bums me out. Yeah. <laughs> that it's like, oh, it's not pink. Because I was thinking like a flamingo situation. Right, it's pink because it it's eats like, like... Yeah, I was like, oh, it must eat shrimp. And you're like, no, it led a hard life, Katrina. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> the pink is his battle scars or her battle scars. But there's like a ton of mythology around these creatures too. Because one thing they say, they're kind of like really curious and they're kind of like friendly. They're actually not as social as other dolphins that we would think of but they are very curious so they come up and they'll like come up to boats and they'll like grab you know canoe paddles or whatever out of people's hands and there's just like a ton of mythology kind of around these pink river dolphins and one that i really like is there's a story basically about you know once a year there's this big festival going on and everyone's partying and so just imagine you're you know a single young lady you're out on the town, and then you see... I will imagine that. Single young lady, Katrina, out on the town. <laughs> you look I'm not over a single young lady, by the way. Across the dance floor, and you see the most handsome man. He's tall. He's dark. He's good looking. He's got the dance moves. He's super charismatic and charming. And he comes up to you and starts, you know, seducing you with his dance moves. Oh, yeah. And he's like wearing this really cool hat on top of his head. And no matter what you do, he refuses to take that hat off. Because he is actually a river dolphin who has turned into a human to seduce you. And if you took his hat off, you would see that he has a blowhole in the top of his head. This makes so much sense now that I'm thinking back on my clubbing days. All the guys like wearing these like crappy fedoras and they're like, no, leave my hat. It's cool. I'm like, oh. River dolphin. <laughs> they're trying to conceal their blowhole from you. So what'll happen is, you know, this guy. <laughs> He'll 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 get in your good favor. He'll 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 seduce you. You'll go home. Things will happen, and uh, then the next thing you know, he's running out. And usually, what'll happen is someone will catch him after you know the the morning after, and they'll chase him out. You know, maybe the girl's father or somebody who wasn't so happy that some guy was trying to seduce his daughter, and he's like running away. And they'll shoot him as he's going running back towards the river, and he'll jump dive back into the river, and then the next. Thing you know, there's a, a river dolphin showing up that has a gunshot in the same spot that this guy did because it was actually this river monster in disguise the whole time. Bad news, though, for that young lady. Um, he left you with a present because you are now Yikes. pregnant with his baby. And in nine months time, you're going to give birth to the child of a dolphin. Which there's so many really fascinating things about this. And there's other there's so much more like mythology besides kind of this one little story about the river dolphins. Yeah. But as we talked about with the Wendigo, this is kind of a story that's meant to instill social values. It's basically to warn, well, there's so many ways to look at it, but you know, it's like warn people about, you know, one night stands, premarital sex, yeah, you know, all that kind of a thing. Be like, you know, these men that are trying to seduce you are just monsters. Um, yeah. And it's like kind of a sad thing, but, it's also something that's been used to explain like really horrible things like rape and stuff, obviously. But then there's like kids who are like born out of wedlock and they'll literally call them like the son of the Boto or like the daughter of the Boto, which means it's kind of become this term to just for like a kid that's like born out of wedlock. Yeah. 
there's so many situations that come because they do talk about like there's a situation like there where it was a consensual thing where he like seduces her and they are having a good time together, but it just turns out that he's a river monster. But they also talk about sometimes they'll come in and like attack you in the night. And there's also yeah. one that ties into other mythologies where you know they have these stories about instead of like seducing you at a party, whatever, he'll drag you down into the river and then you'll never be seen from again because he's taking you into the river with him to to be his bride. Kind of a siren situation. Exactly. And interestingly enough, there are stories about like these ones that we've talked about are mostly male, but there are female Boto as well. And there's not as many stories about them, but they do talk about like, you know, they do kind of seduce you, same thing, like drag you down to the bottom of the Amazon and all sorts of stuff like that. But I saw it was like a really interesting creature. But what's interesting to me, like about what that idea of like something turning into a man and then hooking up with women is like, that sounds so much like, Greek mythology to me of like Zeus. Zeus was always doing this where he was like coming down, turning himself into like something else. But sometimes he would be like an animal seducing a human woman. And sometimes, but sometimes, yeah, he'd just be like, ah, we're going. Yeah. No, I think he would always turn into like an animal though. So it was like flip flop, like the other way. And then the woman would end up having a baby, but it would be like a, a weird baby, like a, I don't think the Minotaur. I can't remember if the Minotaur was like who made that one, but yeah, it would always be some some new figure that was like half one thing and like half a different thing, and so yeah. that story reminds me of kind of like that the same situation, like that same kind of Greek mythology situation of a kind of a supernatural creature like tricking somebody into hooking up. Yeah. And speaking of, there's another one that was, I said was related. There's one from a little further North in Central America. I believe it's in Guatemala. There is a creature called El Sombreron, which Mm. my Spanish pronunciation is probably not that great. Don't at me, please. Um, But, (laughs) but so he's kind of a similar thing in that he is a seducer of young women. But the difference is, you know, I described the Boto in human form, which, by the way, they don't believe that all of those pink river dolphins are like this creature. There are just certain ones that are like the Boto Encantado that they call them. And it's like those are the ones that are like they're special and they're like the enchanted kind of, um, you know, yeah. magical creature. So the four, when I described the Boto in human form, he's like tall, dark, handsome, super good looking. El Sombrerón is kind of the opposite. He's like this ugly, short man. He also wears a really cool hat, but he has a big silver guitar that he'll play. And he like sings songs to try to seduce young women. And this guy, El Sombrerón, is obsessed with like hair. He loves like braiding hair. So he he's very attracted to like women with really long, beautiful flowing hair because he wants to braid it. And it says like, he even likes to braid the like tails and manes of horses. And so that sometimes he'll like braid a bunch of like horse tails together, like outside of your house. And that's one of the reasons ways you'll know that like, Oh, some is like coming to try to seduce you. And apparently is he, you go outside and your horse has like a bunch of braids. <laughs> like, well, they're, they're like, for... they're like braided. There's like three horses, like braided together into a, you know, a horsey centipede or whatever. That'd be a horrible prank. <laughs> Those poor horses. I know. Oh, man. You can only imagine. And the other thing about him, too, is he apparently makes a lot of noise when he walks. And he has, like, a big belt. So he's kind of like a cowboy kind of a guy. Um, But he'll, like, come at night and he'll play his guitar and it'll, like, you know, totally enchant and seduce this person kind of through magic. And then, like, the woman becomes 
like obsessed with him. And it even says like, there's one specific story that they talk about. Apparently there was a girl named Susanna and he did this too. And it's like when she saw uh, him outside playing his guitar, she was under his spell and like she stopped being able to eat. Like whenever they would bring food to her, all of her food, at least in her mind, like it was contaminated with dirt and she couldn't sleep anymore because she could just always hear him singing to her from the street. And her parents were like, Oh my gosh, we got to do something about this. So the only way that they could break the spell was they had to cut off all of her hair. And then they would take her to a church and have like a priest pray for her and like anoint her with holy water and all this stuff so that she would be like broken of this spell, which I thought was really interesting. I liked the image of the character, like this guy in like a big hat and a big guitar, but it's another one that's kind of like that same instilling of these social values of you know be wary of men that are trying to seduce you and take you away from like your family and things like that that is just such a weird kink (laughs) (laughs) please let me braid your hair he's like like it's just super ugly guy he's like i'll play your music if you let me braid your hair and it's like what these are some these are some weird guys at the club tonight that's what I'm getting out of this. And just like highly relatable. It is. Because like as a woman, we've all met that weirdo like at a party that we're like, no, I'm not taking you home with me. And then he busts out his guitar and, it's and you like, still don't want to take him home with you. But <laughs> Like it's college all over again. All right. Well, I think it's time to hop on a boat from, I don't know, Guatemala, then down to Panama. Boom, hop over and sail across the sea. To Europe. Awesome. And I guess we might have to get on a train because I think we're going to Russia. We are. We're going to Russia and not one of the city parts of Russia. We're like, we're going out into the cold. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the Rusalki or Rusakla. I, there are so many different spellings for this. So I'm 100% sure that I'm wrong. I'm going to say Rusalki. Because that's the one that I see the most in actual, like, books. So, again, don't at us with your anger. We know we're wrong. So, (laughs) the Rusalki is a female, like, water nymph. And different regions of Russia, again, kind of have their different ideas of what all being uh, Rusalki like entails because some people believe that like in the wet season, there are these water spirits that are like half fish, half human and kind of like the growing time, like the spring they have like, they have just the body of women and they dance together all over like the meadows. And then when the land is like dry, they can turn into like horses So different regions have a different idea of like what these Rusalki are, but they're all agreed that when people see them, what they see is just this like beautiful woman. She has like clear, like translucent skin, but they believe. So it it went from being like water nymphs in mythology to the folklore is that they are spirits of women who have been violently hurt, like by men. Yeah. Usually like, a boy and the most tragic ones are it's like they believe that it's a woman who was pregnant and the father of the child like didn't want to deal with it so he just drowned the either girlfriend unwed mother whatever like drowned her to get rid of any responsibility yeah. like moving forward and so since these spirits are 
women who have had violence enacted on them. Now what they try to do is to lure men like into the woods and get them near the water. And so they will sit on the side of like the water singing with their beautiful voices and men will come into the woods and they'll see them looking all gorgeous by the water and the women will kind of like tempt them into the water. And then when they get into the water, their hair, it says like their, their hair, their red hair tangles up the men's feet and then they drag them down like into the water since they're like tangled up. Yeah. And so it's like, since these are women who have had violence enacted on them, they're like, oh, it's revenge time on all men. <laughs> Hashtag not all men. Hashtag yes, all men. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, this is kind of like another one of those like seductive monsters. Yeah. Like, you had some like male seducers and now this is a like a female seductress that yeah is trying to harm wayward men that are walking like through the woods and stuff so the, i wonder if this is like is this a story that women tell to be like kind of like revenge fantasy fulfillment or is it a story that is like from the men's perspective of like, or maybe it's not either one of those things. There's obviously like, you know, a third option that I'm not thinking of, but you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to place like the context around, around what the story is and why it's told. Yeah. So what's interesting is that in a lot of folktale and fairy tale, you actually see like this theme a lot of women who have been wronged now going out and hurting men, or you'll see women who get captured and then are somehow able to kill their captor or whatever. And there are a lot of people who believe that the reason why women would tell these stories is exactly what you said, is that women in the real world, we really do like, especially in the time when like these stories are being written, they didn't have power. They didn't really, they didn't have hard power. They had like soft power where it was like, they could seduce men where it's like, that's not a real power. That's not being allowed to like rule a country. Right. That's like a woman just being able to use what she has, like her quote, womanly wiles Uh um, to get what she wants or like seek revenge. And so like sirens, this is like the same kind of a, yeah, a creature is like a siren where it's, it's like, oh, a beautiful woman using like her sex appeal to call to men who apparently have no capability to say like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they're able to harm men. But at the same time, I think it also does send a message to men of like, don't be so easily tempted. Yeah, like yeah. you have agency here. Right. You can say like, no, I'm seeing a lot of red flags here. You seem like someone who's going to murder me. <laughs> I'm going to say no, even though you're a very attractive woman. Yeah, and and not only that, I mean, I think this is totally a modern look on it, but it might be one of the reasons why it's kind of still something that would be even 
you know, in our consciousness and us to be able to look up for the sake of this podcast is there's kind of that element of like, okay, these women have been wronged. And so they're going to murder you. So it's like, hey, if you're like a guy that is wronging women, then these are the type of creatures that are going to come after you. You know, kind of that thing of like, again, and that's why I asked the question, because I I wasn't sure if it was something that would have been done at the time. But it's like also a warning to men, not just like, oh, don't be so easily seduced, but like, hey, maybe you shouldn't mistreat women because... Otherwise, their souls will turn into monsters that will start murdering people. It doesn't sound like yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Plus, it is like, I don't know, it's always, it's satisfying to to hear a story about, like, a woman who was, like, hurt by a man, and then she's able to, even after she's dead, suddenly now she has even more power to be like, you can't hurt me anymore. And are we now talking about, <laughs> are we talking about European <laughs> folklore, or are we talking about Kill Bill? We're talking about Kill Bill, right? Absolutely, we're talking about Kill Bill. Surprise, this is a Tarantino podcast, and... What I was planning for all along. Yeah, we've been fooling you this whole time. Last week, we talked about the Headless Horseman. Uh, (laughs) And today, we're now going to be discussing Kill Bill. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, there's just a lot of stories where it is like women being able to come back from the grave and finally in death have the power that they didn't have when they were alive. And it actually makes me think of a Tim Burton movie, The Corpse Bride, because she at the end of the movie was able to get the guy who had like swindled her that had like tricked her into getting married and then killed her. It's just very satisfying to... Watch men who do bad things have bad things done to them. Yeah, it's satisfying. And to see this what I like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sweet. Are you getting your kicks on Route 66? If you're passing by the Petrified Forest, make sure to stop in Joseph City on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday for Mr. G's Pizza. Ask for Andy, and if he's there, let him know that he can run from the law, but he can't run from the eyes of Zeus. Grab a slice or a whole pie to go, or enjoy Mr. G's Pizza in the back room, which features theater seats and movies perfect for the whole family. Mr. G's Pizza, the only restaurant in town worth going to. All right, I'm excited for this next one because I don't know if this is something we want to talk about before or after, but... When we were researching this, at least me, I was trying really hard to find cool creatures from African folklore. And there were some, but it was just one of those that it was like, it was a lot harder to find a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so, But I know you've got a good one, so I'm really excited. But it was just, I, yeah. I struggled a lot. So a problem that I have run into a lot, actually, is finding... African stories from African people. Yeah. Because, and I think you said this, Jeff, that when you were doing a lot of research, you were finding stories that were taking place in Africa, but it was always like a colonist, an imperialist, like somebody that's like... Yeah, I found tons from like South Africa and the ones from South Africa, there were like lots of, you know, it was like, oh, it's in Africa, but it's South Africa and it's it's the Dutch people living in South Africa that came up with things. Like I was really trying to find ones that were like native african stories which was hard because again i found a lot but most of them were wherever in africa that it was not what i wanted you know it was about the european settlers the european colonizers in africa not 
you know, Native Africans. Yeah. And like that is something that I am planning on buying more books for reading more books, doing more scholarship, like research into Africa, because there, there are resources available. They're harder to get. Yeah. These just like gaping holes of information. And I know that that research is like being done and there are books being printed. And so, um, as I read more of those books, we're definitely going to mention them on the podcast. We're definitely going to tell people what books we're reading and like where they are on Africa. So sweet. I look forward to it. Yeah. I'm like all that to say, I found what seems to be a more modern urban legend, but still, you know, within the scope of what we're talking about, even if it's like the stories aren't as old. Yeah. Um, and this one is a Nigerian urban legend and they're called Bush Babies. And the thing that intrigued me the most about this one is I, out of all the things we're talking about, this is the one I think that scares me the most that I personally find the most terrifying because I, I would, I would fall prey to this. And yet it has the cutest name. It does like, Oh, like, like Bush babies. So what this urban legend is, is that like, if you are sitting in your house at night and suddenly outside, you hear this like crying of a baby. And so you go outside and you're looking around because you're like, where is that baby coming from? Like, where is that sound? Is there a baby? Is there a child that's hurt somewhere? And uh, they say like women will go into the bush to look for where this crying is coming from. And then whatever this like spirit or demon or monster, whatever it is, it will like grab the women and snatch them and carry them away. And to me, seriously, what's the most frightening about that one to me is I, I know I would be like one of those people because like, I totally am. If I hear somebody like yelling outside or I hear like some commotion happening outside, I immediately like look out my window. What's going on? I will walk outside. Yeah. To be like, is somebody hurt? What's going on? What's happening? And so I, I, cause it's like the seduction ones I find like more like funny and silly. Like, Because I think for me, yeah, if like a guy came over to me like at a club, even if he was like a human being and he was all like, hey, baby, like, how's it going? I'd be like, no, no, thank you. That's yeah, it's a huge not what I want. If the guy refused to take off his hat, even if he's not an enchanted creature, like that's a big red flag. It's still a red flag. But to me, like, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't wander off with like some like sexy, seductive river creature, but I would would wander... I would wander into the woods if I thought there was like a baby that was a child that was lost out there. And so to me, yeah, that, that one, it's like, that is spooky. Yeah. It reminds me of something I've said a lot recently, like since having kids, like having kids, the biggest thing is like, it's just opening a door on fear. Like I was never really that afraid of most things until I had kids. And now I'm just like afraid of everything. You know, and especially if there's something that's like threatening kids, like I just, it's opened up this whole part of me that's like, you know, before I may not have, again, not that I don't care about kids or whatever, but it's like, now I'm the same way. I'm like, I would 100% hearing a kid crying and imagining, even if it's not my kid, like that there could be a kid like mine that is in danger. I'm like, I got to help them. So yeah, that is like really terrifying. And also like really 
I don't know. There's something really sad about the fact that this story exists. It's like, it is disincentivizing you from going out and like helping, you know, like if, if that were literally happening, like there was a kid outside yeah. in danger and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't go out there. Cause a bush baby's going to get me like that is horrifying. Yeah. But the, but like in real world consequences, but where the area of Nigeria, because not all Nigeria, there's like major cities. Yeah. Um, but where this, story was kind of circulating as in smaller village towns mm-hmm. where women, young girls were being snatched and kidnapped. Right. And so it is like, yeah, it's like, Oh, doesn't this story though? de incentivize people from going outside of their house it's, to help people. But, but it's, it's like, actually... it's not, yeah, it's like, it's not safe for women, young girls to be going outside looking for babies because there is actually a real danger for women and it's humans. Yeah, exactly. The worst monster of all. Like you said all along, you're, you're ruining, you know, the surprise 10th monster on our list. (laughs) Which is Jeffrey. We were the monsters all along. (laughs) We were the monsters the whole time. Well, and another thing that reminds me of, and I think I cut you off earlier on something, but. Oh, but it's, it's what like carrying on, like with that, it is like these stories where like women are in the most danger because yeah. it's like when we talked about even like the European one or the Russian one where it's like this female seductress, but the story is she came like she became that way from the harm that men do to women. Yeah. There wouldn't be so many of these monsters if, yeah. Men weren't like murdering and attacking yeah. women. And so it's like that theme isn't, it's, it's not special or unique to like Nigeria. Yeah. It's a, it's another one of those things where it's like, oh, it's the human experience, like where cultures throughout the world have stories that are to warn women to be safe, like be afraid of men. Yeah. yeah. To be safe, to like, practice caution so that they can be safe from what's really out there, which is men. So I definitely want to stress that it's like, it's not just Nigeria that has these stories where it's like the purpose of them is to keep women safe. Yeah. Well, we've just talked about like four or five of them in a row, you know? Yeah. Like that's what's behind the last like four or five that we've done. Yeah. Basically everyone so far, except the Wendigo (laughs) is like protect women, which is an admiral goal. It also reminds me of, this is like a total tangent, but, you know, like living in the mountains, like out west. Yeah. Talking about, they say that cougars make the sound, like they can sound like crying babies. I don't know if they're intentionally doing it to like lure prey or what they're doing, but no, I've heard that. It's my just aunt, the, yeah. my aunt had like, they, they had like these warnings like posted throughout their neighborhood because they live like right up near the mountains. And, uh, you know, they were like, don't let your small dogs out at night or your dogs at all because there's like cougars that are prowling around. Yeah. And they were saying they could hear that sound. It sounded like babies crying outside. And it was just a cougar that was, yeah, that had been snatching up people's dogs in the neighborhood. That's what I was walking around my parents, like gated community. And they live up in some mountains. And the demographic of that gated community, it's like mostly retirees. They're people who are, it's like, 60 plus yeah that's like the demographic in the neighborhood when i went to walk my little dog my dad was like oh because it was dark outside and he was like oh katrina like don't don't walk alone at night and i was like there aren't i don't think that there are any men in this gated community who are gonna attack me and he was like oh no i wasn't talking about men uh there are cougars (laughs) 
<laughs> that are kind of like, there are mountain so really, lions. I'm more at danger from walking in that community for all the cougars that are going to be coming after me. Oh, not that kind of cougar. <laughs> like, hi, Dad, if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, now we have the story. Now my fear of bush babies is going to keep me from getting eaten alive by a cougar, and I'm very appreciative of that. All right, Jeff, now you're going to take us into the Middle East. Yes, this one to me was the one that was the most terrifying. Although after listening to you talk about what whatever that Irish like demon with Dullahan. Yeah, Dullahan. I'm like, okay, that is officially the scariest thing. If you don't know what we're talking about about the Dullahan, listen to the Sleepy Hollow episode because there's kind of a little tangent we go on about this like terrifying Irish folktale about the Dullahan, which is just the the most terrifying monster I've ever heard of. But this now falls into second place, and it's called the Nesnas, which is from um, Yemen. So the Nesnas is described as resembling half of a human, basically. So it's like it has half of a head, half of a body, one arm, and one leg. And it, like, just hops around like that. And they say sometimes you see it as, like, it's, like, still flesh on there, but, like, it's, like, Basically, like, it's just been ripped in half. So you kind of see the guts and the innards on the one side. And it's just, like, they're hopping around. And it says it's, like... He's oh. he's Harvey Dent, but the whole body. Yeah, but the whole body's just gone. Um, and they say, like, you know, okay, he's miss- it, it's missing half the body. But it's, like, super agile at being able to, like, run around and, like, flip around just with half of the body. And, um, it, which that alone is terrifying. Like, I'm trying to remember what this... I don't think it actually supposedly does anything to anybody, though. That's the funny thing about it. <laughs> it just... If they see it and they're like, ugh. Yeah, so it's like... <laughs> it's described as being this really horrifying thing, but I don't remember in the research seeing anything that it did. It also sometimes will like be portrayed as having the tail of a sheep, which is pretty terrifying. The other thing about it, which, again, is totally taking the fear out of this, is that like apparently people of a certain region in Yemen were like, apparently they would eat this creature. They said like it's sweet, it's flesh was like super sweet. And so they just like love to eat it. So it's like, really, this is like less of a monster and more of just like a poor, you know, creature that we should feel pity for. Um, yeah. But interesting, you mentioned Harvey Dent. The other thing that's interesting is like, so they talk about how sometimes you see it as like flesh and the other times you'll see it as like, basically like half of a skeleton jumping around. Yeah. And they say that the Nesnas, it actually has both of those halves at all time, but one of the halves is like in like another realm of existence. So only half of it is visible to like humans at one time. Yeah. Or, and it's also like, it's still it, like the other half is can't be used. So it's like, you may see the same nestness, but it looks completely different. Cause it's now the, the skeleton half that has been like reincorporated. And I just thought it was like a really, again, terrifying looking monster. And uh, apparently it's like described in, um, you know, thousand and one nights. It yeah. appears in there. I couldn't find, I really tried hard. It, I could only find it in like a reference book that was talking about the stories, not in the story itself, but supposedly it's in the story of the second lunatic. If anyone wants to try to look it up and send it to us, if you can find us, cause I'm really interested to see, um, you know, what else goes on with it. But yeah, I just thought it was like that description. Like if I saw like a half of a person hopping towards me in the middle of the night, I would be, uh, be pretty freaked out. Oh Yeah. But that's funny that you said, like, but it doesn't really hurt anybody. Like, it doesn't, it hasn't, like, harmed anyone. It's just freaky. They're like, I just don't like it. <laughs> like, uh, it's like a blobfish. It's gross. It grosses me out, but uh, it's not going to do anything to me. 
<laughs> but uh, but you but you may want to attack it and eat it because apparently it's delicious. Yeah, it's got yeah, it's like oh, it's, but it's, it's kind of an anti monster. It kind of reminds me of like a leprechaun where it's like oh, you catch it, but instead of like a pot of gold, they're like it's just yummy. <laughs> mm. I'm like humans are amazing. We're like, but you can eat it. So awesome! I'm excited to talk a little bit about um, a ghost in Thailand. So for the listeners, I grew up in thailand i lived there for 12 years um while i was a kid growing up so the most of you know for the first 18 years of my life 12 of it was spent in thailand and i always found thailand had this they have like just a really rich mythologies and religious stories where like buddhism mixed with like the animism that was like believed there and there's reincarnation and like levels of reincarnation and so how all of that mixes together is like after you die you can turn into some pretty terrifying things (laughs) i know most like (laughs) i know most people seem to think that and this is how it is in some uh religions where they're like oh if you get reincarnated you get reincarnated into another living thing and so you could be like an animal And there's definitely that, like, in that, like, hierarchy of, like, things that you can be reborn into. But there's also things that you can be reborn into that are, like, a hungry ghost. Which is, like, if you were a greedy person who was never satisfied, then, like, when you die, you get turned into this, like, creature that has this, like, long, thin neck and this, like, emaciated, like, chest, but this, like big belly that needs to be filled but you've got this like little proboscis mouth long neck so it's a ghost that's trying to like feed on things but it can't eat quickly and it can never fill its belly it can never be satisfied it's kind of like how actually the wendigo is like described where it's like this like emaciated body and it can never be like satisfied i was gonna say we actually have those like hungry ghost uh, mythological creatures in like american folklore as well you know, like the ghost from Pac-Man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is not that. <laughs> I was so fascinated for a second. I was like, you totally had me. I was like, I don't think I've heard of this. Oh my goodness. Like, tell me more. <laughs> you see him everywhere. You get me every time, Jeff. You're always like, I've got a good one for you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so ready for this. Anyway. Uh, so there's this like mix uh, in Thailand of like ghosts where some ghosts are really nice, pleasant ghosts. And then, and some are like, f- like funny, like it's just almost comical. And yeah. then other ones are just wildly grotesque. And the one that I'm going to talk to you guys today, cause it wasn't that hungry ghost, even though now that <laughs> bonus, <laughs> bonus monster. Yeah. Yeah. Bonus monster. I'm going to talk about the Nang Tani. And the Nangtani is the spirit of a woman. So it's like this female ghost. And again, in some of the stories, the reason why this young woman has died is due to violence from, you guessed it, men. Come on, guys. Get (laughs) it together. (laughs) Throughout time, get it together. But she's actually this like kind, benevolent ghost, and she lives inside of 
banana trees. And she doesn't live, she lives in like a very specific type of banana tree. And it's not a banana tree that people like make groves of because they're not, they're not good bananas. Like they're a variety of bananas that like, yeah, they're not great for, for people to eat. Like there, it's more of like a small fruit that like animals would enjoy. Cause there's like, I want to say there's like a hundred or something different types of bananas. Oh yeah. And, and so this banana tree that she's said to like haunt because there's like more than one of her because it's a type of ghost. It's right. not like it's one, not one specific. Yeah. It's not like Bloody Mary or whatever. It's like yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a it's a species. So to yeah, speak, it's a, of a species. Yes, it's a species of ghost. And so they say that like she is like just this super kind ghost, and sometimes her like spirit will come out of the tree and it will drop like offerings into the alms bowls of the monks as they're like walking around begging for their alms in the morning. She is said to go and and drop alms into their bowl because she's still even like after death, she's still very like respectful and kind, like towards monks. And normally these trees are around communities, like small village communities. They'll have them there as kind of, I don't know, like more or less of like a windbreak. They're just trees that naturally will just grow in the like jungle of Thailand. So normally there will be groups of these trees like close by, And it's said that if, you know, she finds out that there's, like, a man in the community who's, like, abusing women or harming women or whatever, that she will go out of her way to, like, bring bad luck to that person and to kind of try to, like, avenge that wrongness that that they're doing, that she'll kind of use her powers and sway with other, like, spirits in the animistic kind of world to get this guy. And so what he needs to do is to go to the banana tree where she is in and like repent and like ask for forgiveness, give her like presents and alms and like, like little like offerings. Yeah. And he needs to like do better or she's going to keep, you know, putting this like bad luck on him. Um, All throughout Thailand, you will see uh, trees that have, different fabric wrapped around them and the colors mean something. And also like the type of fabric means something. Cause there's, and that is to mark what spirits reside in that tree. Oh, uh, because there are lots of tree spirits or spirits that right. can reside in trees in yeah. um, Thai belief. And so I think it's, if they're marked in orange, that's like a holy tree because orange is like the color of like the monks. Yeah. Um, and so that one's like, it's a holy sacred tree and it can't be cut down and they'll wrap the trees that have Nong Tani in them. They'll wrap with either green silk or just a multicolored silk, but apparently like it has to be like a silk. And when people see that that banana tree is wrapped in that silk, they know that there is a Nongtani in that tree. And so they won't cut it down unless they give the spirit warning and time to find a new tree to like move into. So this, the belief in like spirits, like inside of trees, it's also can turn into kind of a political tension or even a 
just a tension between like religions and businesses that are like inside of Thailand, because if a monk comes and he blesses a tree and marks it as sacred because it has like an important spirit in it or like a Holy spirit in it and it, and they marks it in orange, it can't be cut down. But then businessmen who want to build on top of it yeah. can then find a monk, another monk, to go and defrock the tree and like right. and prove help the spirit move like to a different tree or whatever. exactly like, prove that the spirit yeah. is gone. Yeah, and so like there's actually some controversy since there is still kind of that that belief in the spirit, whether it's like a literal belief that people are like, no, I truly believe that there's like a spirit inside that tree or whether it's like, no, I believe just out of respect for our past and our folklore that we should leave the tree alone, even if there's not a literal spirit in it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, you know, there's the next creature we're going to talk about, which is in New Zealand called the Tanifa is like, almost the exact same thing, but in cultures that are very different. Because in, in New Zealand, the Maori, they have this these creatures called the Tanifa. I don't want to call it a monster, but sometimes they are kind of monsters because they live in nature. They live in lots of times water, but they can like burrow through the earth. And usually what happens is they're like monsters, but they're also protectors. So like each iwi or tribe, not necessarily each one, but so an iwi or a tribe might have a Tanifa that's like the protector spirit of that tribe. So it's not dangerous to those people, but if you're from like another tribe or imposing on that land, like it'll pull you into the river, it'll kill you, it'll swallow you. They say that, you know, they've killed Tanifa and opened up their, cut them open and they've seen like just the bones of all these people and all their, you know, their green stone necklaces and all these things that they they have on them. And it's a thing now too, like you're talking about with cutting down these trees, you know, even it's persisted into modern day where they'll talk about the Tanifa are still around. So like people will want to build like a highway or whatever. And it causes this controversy where, you know, the government is like, Oh, we want to build a road here. And the local Iwi is like, well, you can't build there because there's a Tanifa. You need to, you know, pay us some money so that we can perform a ritual so that we can get the Tanifa to move on and move out of this place. And then it will be safe for you to build this thing here. And it's like, some people have gotten frustrated because they feel like they're just being extorted. Yeah. You know, as far as like, oh, they're making up this creature. You know, other people are thinking this, like, oh, they're making up this creature, this spirit that lives there, but they just want our money. And it, it gets more complicated in this sense because it's not just folklore and, you know, respect for their traditions, but it's also like the Maori are like the native people of New Zealand and the, yeah. the government is largely controlled by, you know, especially English, you know, white European settlers that have come in. So it's become this like conflict between people coming into the native land and trying to take it. So there's actually a, a, um, an academic, a Maori academic, and his name is Rangunui Walker. And he has said that lots of these people that are coming forward and saying that there's a Tanifa here, they don't actually believe that. He's saying, you know, it's a, cop- a coping me- mechanism of our people, a way that we have power and a way that we can voice our displeasure in situations where we feel like we're being treated unfairly or our lands are being encroached on or something like that, which I thought was really interesting. But it's like a really common thing. And like, just as a fun fact, the the production of the Lord of the Rings movies that Peter Jackson did when they were filming in New Zealand, they had some Maori elders come in and perform a ceremony so that their production would be blessed and so that they would not anger any Tanifa as they were going around filming in the lands around New Zealand, which I thought was kind of a cool little tidbit. Yeah, because it's also like, I, I just feel like that's just respectful. Yeah. That it it's like, even if it, 
even if it isn't your belief or something that like you believe in, if you're in somebody else's like home, if you're on somebody else's land, like you should try to respect the things that they respect the most, at least yeah. like while you're there. Another cool thing about the Tanifa is like they talk about their shapeshifters and like some will just be different shapes depending on the the tribe or whatever, the area that they're in. So certain ones will take on a certain shape. Supposedly they can also change shape. And uh, the Maori have like these really cool carvings and, you know, art where they depict these Tanifa and they're all sorts of different ones. And they're like really, really cool looking. So if you have a chance, you should definitely, um, you know, look them up because there's so many different ones that you'd be yeah. like, oh, these are all the same creature, but. but they're shapeshifters. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really cool. That's awesome. Because it also reminds me of in Ireland, they believe in, I think them, it's fairies. It's the fae that live inside of trees also. And if they see like a fairy tree, I even had like a follower on my Instagram who's Irish and she was telling me about fairy trees and everybody, even in modern day, like if they see a tree sitting by itself in the middle of a field, and it's just this big, tall tree or not even tall, but just like an old tree. They're like, Oh, that's a fairy tree. And there have been times when, you know, developers are like, oh, we need to knock down that tree and build a road on it. Or like, this would be an excellent place for like a shopping center. And all we have to do is like plow this field, knock over this tree or whatever. And the locals are like, no, you can't do that. That's a fairy tree. That's terrible bad luck. Like all of those like spirits will think that we did this and they could come after us. And there's even this... um, quote that I like where somebody said it's not that we believe in fairies it's that we we don't not believe in fairies <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I I know like I I was talking to my sister about it and I was like I kind of have that feeling too for five years of my life when I wasn't living in Thailand I lived in Louisiana and her and I are both like I don't believe in voodoo but I also am not going to mess around with voodoo because yeah. that's, that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> for like, like, Why risk it? Yeah, because it's like I don't know how to use voodoo properly. And if I misuse it, something bad could happen to me. And it's like I don't believe in voodoo. But also <laughs> yeah. I want to stay away from it and let the people who it belongs to be in charge of like yeah. how they control their voodoo. It's so fascinating too, like about the Nangtani and the Tanifa and the, you know, the fairy trees. It's like those are thousands and thousands of miles apart, those three cultures. Yes. Yeah. And they all have this kind of idea. And I'm sure there, if we research more into it, we could find even more that are like this. But it's like, it's just so interesting that similar creatures, similar stories develop independently on completely different sides of the planet. Yeah. Yeah, and that it's not, it's like, it's not just Maori people that are, like, trying to both protect their land from overdevelopment, but also their culture and their heritage from, like, overdevelopment and being, like, plowed down. There, it's like, there are cultures all over the world that that is just the exact same way, that they are all trying to protect not just mythical creatures that they may or may not believe in, but also they're trying to protect their heritage. 
Those astute observers, though, will notice that we've covered North America, we've covered South America, Europe, Africa, Middle East, Asia, Oceania. There's one continent that we haven't done yet. And I told Katrina, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. I refuse to not have an Antarctic monster. He absolutely did fight me on this so hard. And I was actually just joking because I was like, there's no indigenous people at Antarctica. Like, there's no way we're going to find anything. But that did not stop me from trying to look. And surprisingly, I did find one that was super fascinating. And the thing that's so fascinating about this one is like, you think of Antarctica, okay, who's there? So we've got like, you know, I think of like researchers. There are some researchers, they talk about like, you know, there's like a Wells Fargo ATM machine in like a, you know, like in a research station there. And they talk about like, it's the most remote ATM machine anywhere in the world. Yeah. And so the thing that's really crazy about this one is it's like scientists and really like learned people that are citing these creatures. And so it's like, are they real? Are they not? Like, are these scientists being fooled? So the creatures that they're seeing are described as like these kind of short, fat, like flightless birds. And they've got these like wings that look more like flippers than actual wings. And they like lull you in with their like cute, cuddly appearance. But when they get in the water, they're like just ferocious. They can swim like 30 miles an hour and they like just devour everything in sight. And they're called um, the penguin? Peng- penguin? <laughs> <laughs> the pe- oh, the penguin. I've seen a penguin before. <laughs> just kidding, guys. But okay, that was a joke. But I really did accidentally find a real, a real fake mythological creature from Antarctica. So the penguin was, you guessed it, <laughs> another bonus one. You're like, I found another real fake animal. <laughs> but I'm sure as soon as I started saying that there was like a, a fat flightless bird, everyone's like, oh, he's going to be making a stupid joke about a penguin. I just know it. <laughs> They're like, he is a dad. <laughs> Confirmed. But there is actually one. It's called um, a ningen, which is... Like, that's a Japanese word that just means human. So, and again, this is like being seen seen by research vessels or whaling vessels from Japan that are traveling down to Antarctica. And they describe a creature. And again, this is not something that I made up. This is something that apparently is out there. You can kind of look it up. Not that the creature is out there, but the story is out there. (laughs) And they say that it looks like this weird combination between like a human and a whale. It's just like a long human. It kind of has arms and legs and like a humanish face. Sort of like a really terrifying mermaid, but it's like just pure white and horrifying. And they're saying like they see reports of these things, you know, swimming around and up to boats and things like that. And I just thought, you know, there's not much to that, except I thought it was fascinating that there really is, you know, even in Antarctica, where I was joking because there's no people that live there. Like there's still some sort of creature associated with that part of the world. It's like we can't go anywhere in the world without thinking that there are monsters out there that are trying to kill us eat us do whatever unspeakable things to us yeah and it is uh interesting to me that it's like it's an ocean one and jeff and i talked about this before like as we were finding things to research and we were like we could do an episode that's just sea monsters that's entirely sea monsters because that is a terrifying unknown frontier that people are constantly around and in contact with. And so it makes sense. It's like, 
things that we've never seen before are coming up from the bottom of like, you know, the ocean floor or especially around the Antarctic when they're still trying to discover what kind of life there is there that can survive in that harsh climate. Yeah. Because the, like there are animals in <laughs> besides penguins <laughs> that are like in Antarctica or like under the, the ice shelves hiding in that cold freezing freezing water and so those creatures are still being discovered and so it makes sense that people on ships would be seeing something that they're like i've never seen this before i don't know what this is it's horrifying it looks like it has the face of a person yeah like it like it just it makes sense to me that that it would be an ocean one that it would be something that's in the sea because that seems to be just the most terrifying place on earth the ocean where the real terror is. Agreed. You've been listening to the Fairy Tellers podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings, or follow us on Instagram for daily fairy tale memes at the fairy underscore tellers, or even join the conversation on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at Incompetech.com. May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish blessing. There was something I was going to say, but I forgot. Hold on. It's okay. Do you want me to talk more about how you're made of meat? (laughs) Yes, please do.